0: Hey, y'all. Welcome to Pain in the Pod. I'm your host, Mary Payne Gilbert, and as always, I want to remind you that Pain in the Pod is on Patreon. Patreon is where you can get bonus content and support the podcast. You just go over to patreon.com slash Pod, and I thank you very much. And speaking of Patreon, my guest today will be hanging out after this podcast to record a little bit for Patreon, so we're going to get right to it. Today's guest is Kim Goldman. Kim Goldman is the sister of Ron Goldman, who as everybody knows, was murdered by O.J. Simpson, along with O.J.'s ex-wife, Nicole Brown Simpson, around 25 years ago. So earlier this year, Kim put out a much-anticipated podcast called Confronting O.J. Simpson. And in the podcast, Kim really takes us on the journey that she and her family went through during the so-called trial of the century and the aftermath that followed. So Kim, I really appreciate you joining me here today. Well, thanks for having me. So I have just so many questions for you I have pages and pages so I have to kind of hone in on what's most important that my listeners want to know. And I first want to talk about the podcast itself and when did when did this idea come to you that you were going to do this podcast and how did you come up with the name? Um
1: earlier this year actually um uh I was toying with the idea of you know, coming up with some content that I wanted to work on and, uh, with, with the production company and, and we decided to tackle this first, you know, why not just suddenly walk into an area that you've never done before? What the heck? So, um, and the title of it, you know, it just, I, I guess the, the it was presented to me based on conversations that I had had with the team and stories that I'd shared and sort of revelations about what was important to me to conquer in my life. And they said that what the overwhelming theme that they heard was this concept of confronting, you know, confronting fears and, and, um, concerns and, and, you know, just life, you know, um, and tackling it. So, um, that's, we, do, we wanted to do something strong and that's where we kind of hung on.
0: Well, how did you go about um, starting it up? How did you find your podcast producer, Nancy, that we hear a lot on the podcast? Um, Nancy and I, uh, we had a partnership to work on
1: um, some development ideas for uh, some uh, TV shows. Um, and we just decided to, in the meantime, just to do this. I mean, it was sort of like, a, why not? Let's just see what we can make of it. And we had no real <laughs> clear idea of what we were doing in the beginning. It
0: evolved as we went along, actually. That's so interesting to me how people sort of come up with an idea and then, you know, get it off the ground. And so you were already working with Nancy. It wasn't like she found you on the street or anything like that. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that you only refer to OJ Simpson as the killer, which I can fully understand. You don't want to use his name a lot. Um, But why did you decide to put his name in the title of the podcast?
1: Well, because the hope of the show, um, is to do other stories. So it's confronting and then him, um, the next one could be confronting, you know, Charles Manson. Um, so it's the, the, the name is the, the focus of the series. So, um, confronting is the name of the show. And then beyond the colon, um, is the,
0: is the, is the focus of this, of that, of that season. That's really smart. That's really smart. Hey, well, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Because now you can be like, uh, you can have a a second season, for example, uh, with anybody wanting to confront the person that uh, wreaks so much havoc on their life. Correct. Uh, Oh, all right. Well, we'll get to that at the end, and then I'll ask you (laughs) some follow up on that. Okay. All right. Well, that's really smart. So how long would you say that you guys worked on this before you put out the first episode? Um like three months. I mean, we did it
1: really, uh, we were not, I don't know. I mean, you know how long it takes to set up and, and produce and, and put ideas together, um, having your own podcast. So, you know, it's, it's a process. Um, we just jumped in and started swimming so or drowning. Um, so I, I think probably like February, I want to say February or March was like our first brainstorming meeting um our, our sitting around and deciding who we wanted to invite, and then the first episode aired June twelfth so that's pretty quick that is pretty quick that's, and that's we had, impressive. I think we had five in the, I think we had five in the can by that point we had ten total so
0: yeah, I mean you had to you have to always structure these things and I'm always interested in that too um these ones because there's especially this. Case now to you, it's I mean it is case, but to you it's a it's a personal matter, and you would you have to really structure it. So you did talk to a lot of people that were involved. Uh, you talked to Marsha Clark and Chris Darden and some reporters as well as some uh, jurors who I want to talk about in a minute. So I, I I imagine for you, and tell me if this is right or wrong, that it's comforting to talk to the people that were so involved in that huge chunk of your life? Because they were there and they knew what it was like to be sort of involved in that circus.
1: Well, I mean, honestly, I mean, you hit the nail on the head because when I sat down with, with Nancy and the team, that was one of the comments that I made out the gate that, you know, I've always been really sensitive to how this case and the story, um plagued and and really impacted everybody that was involved, and we don't ever really pay attention to even the people on the periphery, the people that you know the 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 law clerks or the the district attorney you know investigators or law enforcement or the media, and how whether it was our case or any case that they that they're a part of, you know how it takes a toll um on their emotional well-being, um, on their reputations, on their relationships. Um, and I've always been curious about that. And because I spent so much time with so many of these people, I I think I knew a little bit and I thought it would be interesting to share um, from a totally different perspective, which is, you know, how, how did this play out and how did it impact people from a from a more global standpoint? So I'm glad you picked up on that.
0: Yeah, I liked how it really was, you know, everybody that is, you know, uh, you know, my age-ish, we, we all were young adults at the time and remember this case so vividly. And for you to give us the perspective of the other side, like what it's like to literally have to get in the elevator with these people who have just you know, talked horribly uh, about your family or your brother or indicated things about him that weren't true. And then you have to ride the elevator with them or see them in the cafeteria. Well, I think,
1: well, I don't want to interrupt you, but I mean, I did. So I I guess I do. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think part of it, you know, we become so desensitized because we're inundated with so many, you know, stories about it and messages about it and theories and thoughts and opinions. That you know, all of us were trapped sort of in this in this vortex for such a long time, and and we were all walking such unique paths, but we were crossing into each other. It was just it's weird and it's hard to explain. Um, but I was really fascinated, you know, with how everybody was coping. And because I come from a mental health background, and because that's kind of where I'm at in my life and about advocacy and stuff, I didn't want to rehash you know, the same thing over and over again, because everybody has that ability. But I did want to lend some truth um, and honor and integrity to a story that I think has gotten so out of control. Um, and I
0: figured, you know, go right to the to the source. Right. And, and how did it feel to sit down with some, after 25 years, you're sitting down and talking to people that, some you've kept in touch with and some you haven't and you're sitting down with them 25 years later. And I think even Chris Darden was like, has it really been that long? You know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Chris and I, um, you know, we stay in contact with each other, um, you know, via social media, but you know, texting and just checking in on each other. Um, but I don't think I've seen him in a while. Well, I rope him in to do things, um, with me periodically. Um, but I haven't, you know, Marsha Clark and I, you know, exchanged the occasional email. Um, I had seen Kato Kalin years before, but I'd never officially formally met him. Ooh. Um, and so, you know, our very first interaction with each other was, um, I don't know, on the 20th or 15, 15 year observation of my brother's death. We were in a green room together and he was really nervous to meet my dad and I. And I was like, wait, haven't we've not met? Like I couldn't remember. (laughs) And, um, you know, it, it struck me. Um, it was sort of shocking and touching in the same vein that he was so nervous to meet my dad and I, um, Jill Shively, who was one of the other witnesses, uh, that didn't make the criminal case, but participated in the grand jury. Um, I'd never met her before. Uh, and she was really nervous too. And, um, but you know, I think that, it, I it was coming from a place of compassion and 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 patience, and so I think that allowed some things to kind of grow organically in there.
0: Right. I mean, I I, I imagine that you are soothing and easy to talk to, you know, from what uh, I heard on the podcast, I, I don't think you would come across as aggressive or you know, scary. So to think, <laughs> to think that like Cato Kalen would be nervous, you know, it's probably just because he's nervous because he thinks that maybe he had a hand in, in him getting off. But I mean, I felt he told what happened and it wasn't in favor of OJ.
1: Yeah. But I think, you know, leading into it, you know, uh, you know, Cato was... Wasn't as nervous this time because I I did meet him you know a couple of years ago so we did have you know we sort of broke the ice but that first time I met him you know he was panicked he's like do, I think do they want to be in the green room with me is that okay if I'm in the green room and it was really nervous and weird and funky Um, and I don't think I've ever spoken to him since but when I sent him an email and asking you know he was literally responded within like five seconds of course whatever you know <laughs> Um, and so I I just think that there there you don't get a chance. Well, we didn't choose, I should say, we had chances, we didn't choose them to like talk to each other and share and, and, you know, relate. And that's what I'm saying that, you know, we were all had these unique experiences in the same situation. And it's kind of fascinating when you sit and you talk to him like, wow, I had that too when you did that. And you must feel that. And there really isn't any other group of people that I know when crap happens on the in the
0: news or on TV that I think, oh, they're probably thinking the same thing I am. And that's bizarre, you know? Right, because you come at it from a, such a different angle. Yeah. Um, now, notable people you didn't talk to, uh, Judge Edo, who wrote you a polite, declining letter, um, mm-hmm. and he's close to retirement. And I wonder, do you think he'll ever write a book about his side of it? Because he, you know, in your podcast and, and the um, American Crime Story thing we saw, you know, he did sort of seem... Not shady is not the right word, but it did seem like he sort of enjoyed the fame a little bit more than was I realized at the time. So do you um, think he do you think he's gonna write a book? Um, I think he would be smart too. Um Right.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I do. I don't know that he would, you know, it in in some vein, you know, while while we're saying that maybe he enjoyed it, he also is pretty private. Um, and maybe it's just, you know, because he has felt he needed to because he's still on the bench. I don't know. Uh, but I think it would be uh, it would be an interesting perspective to hear from him. I, I, I mean, that's why I wanted to talk to him. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I I have some perspective, you know, because I've had so much space. I don't know that at the time I realized that I thought that he was so enamored. Maybe I did. But I, I remember feeling annoyed that we had so many breaks in the case because there were celebrities and, you know, those kinds of things happening. But I, I don't think I necessarily equated it with him being enamored. I think I just realized that this, this is case is just so ridiculously, you know, impactful. You know, I, I, I just, I didn't get it. I was a baby, you know, I was 22 years old. I, I didn't, I didn't understand what was happening in that regard. So I, I don't think that I would have thought Oh, the sitting judge, the presiding judge wants to meet a celebrity. I don't know that I, but maybe I did. I don't know.
0: Wow. I don't know. Okay. We're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about yours.
2: This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges. So you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify.
0: Okay, I'm back with Kim Goldman of the podcast Confronting OJ Simpson. Now, you did sit down and talk with two jurors. So... I I found that completely fascinating, like speaking to people that you think would be like scared to talk to you, you know, but um, it was, it was very interesting that what they had in common was that they both said that they did think he was guilty and they did come to the conclusion they thought he did it, but presented with the same evidence today, they would still vote not guilty, which to me, I was like, were we watching the same thing? Um, But. I thought it was very brave of you to sit down and, and talk with them and you were so calm and collected. So how did it feel to, to sit down with them individually?
1: Um, I was incredibly apprehensive. Um, but I knew that, uh, it was probably harder for them than it was going to be for me. Um, and so I tried to handle myself with, uh, as I said earlier, with as much compassion and patience as I could for myself as well. Um, And uh, it was hard. I mean, it it was probably harder for David Aldana. Um, He was very emotional. David was a, was very nervous and um, a little bit frail. Um, He had some uh, medical things that had happened to him over the years. So he was different than I remembered him visually. Um, But I, you know, he was, he, he was very consumed, overwhelmed with emotion, um, through most of our, our time together. And I found myself needing, wanting to comfort him, um, because I wanted to understand where he was coming from, but I was found myself also like, what on earth are you talking about? Then, you know, like you just said, how could we have been in the same room? Um, and I, I, I don't, I don't think I deviated too much from feeling some of that. Um, but it, it wasn't my goal to, to go at him, you know, what's the point of that? Right. So, um i it was hard it was just they were hard they were hard conversations to have um because at the end of the day i i don't i don't support what they did i mean i i i understand i i i guess i mean i i i have to respect the decision that the that the jury came back with but i i don't think they honored the process and i don't think they did what they were supposed to do they both you know alluded to kind of being done earlier and wanting to be done and it was going on too long. And they both kind of hinted how much disdain they had for the prosecution. And, you know, so it makes you wonder like, where in this process did you check out and stop listening?
0: Right. Yeah. They basically said, you know, we've been there so yeah. long, and we just kept thinking, like, God, how can we get right. out of here? And you so know? my
1: feeling is too bad, so sad. Like this is, I get it. It's, you know, I get it. It's a long process, but do your job. Like, just do your job. That's all you need to do is just finish, and do your job, and do it right, whatever that means. But yeah, they they hinted that, you know, I think even with David Aldana, I had asked him, you know, if I I feel like if I gave you if I showed you a video of him committing the murders, you would find something wrong with that, and and he was like, yeah. I mean, like the. I don't know if the if the, if the wow. yes got picked up on the audio, but you know his his body language was like mm, maybe you know like he shrugged his shoulders and and you know I'm like okay all right this is where we are. Oh my so. god.
0: Well, the other juror that you talked to, Lionel Crier, said. Now this is the guy that if, for people that watch the OJ trial, or, or even if they didn't, you've seen it a hundred times. This is the juror that was said to have come in. Uh, when they were going to give the verdict and give a little bit of a nod to the prosecution, like, you know, it's 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 okay. And then when he left, he lifted his fist up uh, face forward in what is thought to be like a uh, like Black Power, Black Panther um, symbol. Now, that was very, very well reported. Now, he said when he did that, first of all, he did not nod, he said. And he said that he... Raising of his fist was meant to say to OJ. Now you've you've got away with something, but you need to go and do right in the world, and you need to change your life. Right. Okay. So how? For me, listening to it, I was like, "Now, come on, man. I mean, how for you? How are you sitting there listening to him say that?" And, and you said, "Well, nobody, you know, nobody in the world thought that." Well, you know, when he said, no, "Yeah," I'm sure. the, the nod was to the defense. I don't. I don't.
1: the, that like. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because, no, that, no, sorry. that's yeah, OK, yeah. because it's, it's important to clarify that. So, you know, the nod was like a, and I didn't I don't remember seeing that, but other people in the room reported seeing that. Um, and, and again, interesting, all separate from having talking to each other, they all witnessed that or had the same experience. So he did some kind of motion to the defense, like I got you, Um, you know, you're good. And then the black power symbol is, is very clearly the black power symbol symbol. And he was adamant that that wasn't it. And, and the way that he described what he meant, I think I said, you know, well, then why didn't you do like, like a, like a, like a praying motion, like put your hands together, like a go with God kind of thing, you know, like I'm not a religious person, but I don't necessarily in, 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 looking at him standing there and putting his fist up infer that to mean, man, I'm giving you a free pass, like go live your life with grace. You know, that's not what, it's not what it appeared to be. And at this Mm -hmm. moment, you know, just, just be what it is. You know, I made a bad decision. I was in the moment, whatever, you know, but again, let, let the listeners decide
0: how, how they want to interpret that. That's not my job. Right. Yeah. I mean, he did. He did say that was a bad decision. Yeah, but only I, because know, I was, kept that was, that saying, "Dude, really, really,
1: you're going to sit here and try to tell me that <laughs> yeah. was your way of like trying to praise him and tell him to go live a fine life. Like, really? Come on now.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think anybody thinks that's what that symbol means, but um, you handled it very well. And either one of those one of those interviews, you said, you know, it's a lot to process. And I'm glad I have an hour <laughs> you know, alone in my car to think yeah. about it. You know, rather than having to come right on and record, it's good to, like, give yourself some time to sort of download what was said. And um, there was that other guy you talked to that was the reporter. And he's the one reporter who still believes that O.J. is innocent. He uh, he doesn't say maybe or what was presented, you know, because you you have to go with what was presented. And for that reason, I think he's innocent. No, he just fully, fully believes that uh, O.J. Simpson did not do it. Um and you did a great job talking to that guy too, because that was stunning. So I want to make sure I'm not, so was that the
1: um uh Patrick McKenna Pat McKenna, the 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 defense process private investigator. Oh yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, okay, yes, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um yeah, that guy, um, I really wish that we would have aired the a longer version of that conversation because we didn't really even air the best parts of it. Um uh, which is unfortunate, uh, but um, yeah, cuckoo, uh, cuckoo town. Um, uh, I I left that conversation thinking I felt so good after talking to him because I was like that guy is like wacky. So he just he believes what he believes, but based on nothing, based on no fact, no testimony. The and he was the investigator for the defense team, um, and the things that he was hanging on to in terms of why he thought that the killer was innocent, the defense didn't even use it. So. Um, they didn't use the witnesses that he was trying to bring forth. They didn't use the theories that he was trying to, you know, project to them. So, um, but you know, people again, believe what they want to believe. And, and I, it's not my job to change their minds. Um, but there is a moment that I'm thinking, what
0: are you thinking? Yeah. You know what? That'd be a great bonus episode. If you, you can yeah. air all the crazy stuff that yeah. he said. Yes, that's right. He was the defense private yeah. investigator and he really, uh, he's a, he's a believer for sure. Um, and so I, I am glad that on your podcast, like they did with the TV show, you went over the whole process of sequestration. The jurors went through, they were sequestered for nine months. So you think about how long it is to, you know, carry a baby and how miserable you are towards <laughs> the end. You know, you can think of it the same way. They had very limited contact with their families and they were, Kind of nonstop, you know, like oh, oh, you like baseball? I sent you to a baseball game, and uh, like you said, or Nancy said, football tickets kept falling out of Judge Ito's robe. Um, and and I'm surprised that none of that was ever kind of looked into being unethical. Yeah, you know, I, and and you know, the truth
1: is, it may have. I don't know that I remember. I think I knew some of it. Um, you know, because we didn't really. I didn't had no idea where they were. Um, I didn't know where they were staying. Um, but I I feel like I knew some of that and and thought. Where the hell did they get those tickets from and how oh, hello football legend you know witness I mean defendant um so i I, I don't yeah. know I you know this is the area where I, I think that our jury system you know needs an overhaul um I think there are lots of areas where we fall short of honoring the process um in terms of 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 making people feel proud to be a juror um and so I think our case kind of highlighted some of those areas, but I think that it's not normal
0: that cases last as long as ours did. There was no neat reason for it. Um, but right. And then, and then how did you, how did you feel personally, like you, your person, when you heard the jurors deliberated for about four hours, a little less yeah, and you're thinking like, Oh, I'm going to have like a two week break, but it was four hours. Um, I mean, you
1: know, I, I don't exactly remember every, like what I, I don't think I had a thought of how long I'd never been in a trial before. <laughs> you know, I'd never been in a courtroom. Right, I had right. I had no idea. And and this play, this case was so wild that everybody's opinions of it were so were so different. And the theories and this was the first real situation. You know, short of like I think the the Menendez trial, which was probably the other case that was not as obviously watched, but um, that people were starting to talk. And you had pundits and you had people you know, sharing their insights and their experience and their wisdom and, and everybody was all over the place. And, um, I had no idea. And so I just stopped listening to those people because it was crazy making because no one had, we, nobody knew it. It's just, it's just, you're guessing, you're guessing, you know, and then we're trying to fill airtime with all these people making, you know, opining about what they thought based on nothing. So, you know, (laughs) and, or based on their unique experience in their case and, and, you know, but we didn't have we we had so many areas where it was not uh normal and you know and so well in this case it's like this but other cases is normally like this but ours was so all over the place that um but i i so i just shut them all out that was the only way i could function for that day because there was a day in between when we heard there was a jury uh verdict and then the day that and, until it was delivered announced
0: oh my god Okay, we're going to take another break. And when we come back, I'm going to talk about podcasts and what's next for Confronting and also what's next for
2: Kim. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that. the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. I'm back with Kim
0: Goldman of Confronting OJ Simpson. And here on my podcast, I like to talk about podcasts. And so, Kim, before before you got into the podcast world, were you a podcast listener?
1: No, I, I uh, had a podcast with uh, a, a dear friend of mine called Broadcast, um, which I think we just did it for our own um, fun. Um, we actually did a pretty good job, but I had no idea what podcasting was about. Um, I just felt like you talked into a microphone and just like went out into the world and I had no clue how it worked, um, and I'm still learning the process. Um, but um, I, I think it's incredible. I mean, the whole it's like a whole new world out here.
0: Yeah, totally. Broadcast is a great name of a. All oh, right, I know. So smart. Yeah, um, yeah. That's all, my friend Jackie. Yeah. So that one's that one's
1: dead. Um, You're not doing. Yeah, it anymore. I think people you know, I think it's up somewhere. I don't even know anymore. Um, but yeah, no, we're not doing it. It's, it's a lot of work, you know, and it was, you know, Jackie yeah. and I were, were, uh, two, two moms trying to manage kids and family and jobs and then do this on the side. And it wasn't reasonable at the time.
0: Are you listening to any podcasts now? Um, am I listening to pot? Well, um,
1: Yours is awesome, so I'm not going to lie about that. Oh, thank course. you. Um, <laughs> so um, I sometimes listen to Juicy Scoop, um, Heather McDonald. Love um, it. Yeah. I l- yeah, love um, that. My friend Jackie, who I was just talking about, she has a new podcast called Forty Thrive, which is amazing. It's really geared towards um, women over forty, and she's doing a kick-ass job with that. Um, I have another friend that does one called um, Sex Ed the Musical, which is, um, it's amazing too. It's just very funny and just talks very freely about um, sex and intimacy um, for women over 40. Um, And then what else am I listening to? I listen to um, Michael Rosenbaum's podcast and Deck Shepherd sometimes. Um, I don't know. I try to listen to light light and airy stuff because I'm so overwhelmed with the world, Um, but I try to give myself
0: a break. I find that interesting when I talk to podcasters, especially like true crime podcasters that really do like deep dives onto, you know, murders and things that are so dark. And I'm always so interested to hear what they listen to because they've got to have something to sort of clear their mind, you know? Yeah. And um, I think in the world we are, a lot of people, I mean, at least I do, get in their car. And If they're in their car for a long time, they listen to podcasts. Um, I listen to either like SiriusXM or podcast, and I feel bad about that because I feel like I'm doing a disservice to, to my local radio stations but yeah. that's just what I'm interested in these days. Yeah. Okay. So, let's talk a little bit about confronting. Tell me what you're thinking about for future seasons.
1: Um, I I really want to focus on um stories that have some kind of social impact, um social justice. Um I I I'm an advocate at heart. Um I don't really want to do things that are just about being some, you know, sensationalistic or exploitive. Um, so I'm kind of hovering right now in the, in the world of, uh, you know, um, mass shootings. And so I think I'm going to probably target one of the, one of the mass shootings, whether it's Columbine or, or, you know, Parkland or, or, um, you know, Sandy
0: Hook or something and maybe kind of go at it from that way. Um, but there's a lot of great
1: stories, uh, that I think need to be covered. So,
0: yeah, as a, as a, as a parent, those mass shootings really, uh, strike at your chord. And uh Sandy Hook in particular, really strikes at me because my son was uh, just starting uh, first yeah. grade that when all that happened and so you know, my child was the same age and little local school that everybody loves, you know same kind of idea and so w- would your idea for the next podcast be the same thought of confronting like are you you're confronting your feelings or you're really confronting the person that did it or trying to figure out why the person did it? Yes.
1: <laughs> I think I think all of all it, of those. you know, because I think I, I think if I'm going to be tr- true to just even the, the the very small formula that we created, is that it's sort it needs to be organic and you know and let the conversation flow. And I, I think for me in those stories, it's you know it's confronting mental health, it's confronting you know gun safety, a common sense gun laws, you know, like how the impact on a community, on a school, on the psyche of the survivors, on you know the family of the shooter. I think that you know, we, we tend to forget all of the collateral damage that happens. And we just focus on the victims, which of, of course that's a hundred percent in my, in my lane. Um, but continuing to have that conversation and, and delve a little bit deeper into the long-term impact of, of that kind of mass trauma and, and, and how we it's horrible word So pardon me, but how we are triggered by it. Um, when, when other cases continue to pop up, you know, we don't, we don't think about that. The rest of us can just Turn off the TV and not listen, but the people that are, you know, directly impacted, that it's, 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 it's traumatizing over and over and over
0: again. So, yeah. Yeah. And in the world we're living in, it, it, it never yeah. stops. Um, on a totally different and lighter note, I just had to ask, um, how was it being on Howard Stern? <laughs> had you ever been on Howard Stern before? No.
1: Um, he was great. Uh, he was so warm and compassionate and, um, uh, his staff was, I think I had talked to his staff once or twice over the years, just various things, but I'd never been, um, invited on the show because it just, you know, his, I wasn't the appropriate guest. Um, but he, he's been so supportive of our family over the years and, um, you know, it was a little bit lighter of a topic rather than, you know, me being a weeping mess, um, as people normally think they yeah. see me as, um, so, uh, yeah, it was great. It was, uh, it could not have gone
0: better. Yeah, I thought that was really uh, a really, really cool thing that he did having you on. And I thought it it was great because the good thing about Howard Stern, I don't generally listen to his show, but I do always listen just to the interviews uh, because he is such a great interviewer in that there doesn't seem to be any time restriction and you can just talk and he lets it flow. And it's just like you're really listening to two people in the car have a conversation, you know?
1: Yeah. And I I don't listen because I don't. I don't, I'm not upgraded to that level um, on my,
0: my serious
1: and quite honestly, like I, 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 I'm not in the car all that long, you know? Um, so I, I mean, I have it, but I just, I, I don't listen. And so, you know, my impression always was, you know, he's crazy and, you know, so, you know, shocking. Um, but, uh, he, he was just
0: pure, pure, pure respect. um, Yeah. And very kind. Yeah. That's awesome. That was awesome. Okay, I'm going to um, close off. I want you to tell everybody where they can find out more about you and also the podcast.
1: Um, well, I have uh, my website, it's KimberlyGoldman.com. It's super easy. Um, I'm on all the social media places uh, at Kim E. Goldman and then um the podcast you can find um same place I listen to yours um on all of the all of the podcast players. Um just type in confronting OJ Simpson and which
0: it should pop up. Okay. So anywhere. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to thank you so much for joining me. And I wanted to tell you that on a, I'll end this on a personal note at the, at the time of this trial, I worked for Turner Broadcasting, which owned CNN oh. at the time. So oh. I'm the, I'm the same age as uh, your brother would be today, 50. And I watched that trial gavel to gavel because it was on the TV right in front of my desk all day. Like, I mean, if I didn't want <laughs> right. to watch it, I didn't have a choice. It was, you know, I was there in the building, it was everywhere. And I, you know, know, the bathroom that we use, I shared the bathroom with Greta Van Susteren, And, you know, as a viewer, um, it was so heartbreaking of course to see you and your father and the Brown family every day and I think that your podcast what I want to really get my listeners to understand is your podcast really shed a light on the media circus and what really went on on the other side from just from what we saw on the TV as a viewer like you said we could turn it off at night but this was your real life and yeah. you know at the end of the day you lost your brother and the Browns lost Nicole so it, you sharing your point of view was just so just like Eye opening for those of us who sort of lived through it. And if you want to hear more of me talking with Kim Goldman, we're going to talk a little bit more. Go over to patreon.com and you'll get the bonus content. And I would just want to thank you again.
1: Thank you so much.